Good morning. I want to say thank you to several people this morning just to start out. Thank you guys for being here. Um, yesterday I got back from Superstart, which was a preteen event, and saw that the men's uh, service group had completed a big chunk of the teen center down there. I want to say thank you to everybody who was involved in that. Um, thank you for the worship this morning. That was really, really fun and, and uh, uh, neat, and I really appreciate that. I, I've worked with Jamie before uh, a couple times, and uh, he's, he actually does this for a lot of churches, and he attends here whenever he's not doing that. And it was his first time to actually get to lead us, and I appreciate that and all the rest of the band. I also want to thank all of you guys for um, your generosity. Uh, last week, I just, I just um, casually mentioned that my family does puzzles sometimes, and somebody brought me a puzzle. Um, a few weeks ago before that, I, I mentioned that I go down to Our Town Coffee Shop, and they started a fund for me. So I go down there, and a lot of times I go down there now, and there's, I get my coffee free. The thing that, exci- I, that means a lot to me, the thing that really excites me was that Our Town told other people about that. A lot of people are doing that for their pastors and just friends now. They've got this whole drawer full of little envelopes with people's names on them. And I love that. That's such a cool picture of the kingdom of God, how it grows. It starts very small, ways you can't see where it would end up, and it ends up somewhere amazing. It's somewhere way bigger, and I love that. So, and I'm just going to throw out, I really like motorcycles. Um, <laughs> that's a true statement, but also a joke. I'm not asking for a motorcycle. But we see this idea, we see this idea of Jesus' design, God's design. He puts it everywhere in nature. He puts it in his word. He tells us stories about mustard seeds that start out small and grow really big, yeast that makes bread rise. He tells us these stories. He even puts it in the fabric of everything in life, including DNA. Got a picture here of a DNA strand. And there's no, there's no way to really understand this, I don't think, but the more we do kind of get it, the more we study it, the more we kind of get that these little tiny building blocks, they're so small, we, we can't really see them at all, but yet they build and turn into everything that we know. And that this, is, this is how God, he, this is what he does. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'm going to ask you to read this with me again. Jesus just literally, again, just like a mustard seed is a mustard seed, that's what it is but there's some, something else you can see. He literally told his people after he gave the Great Commission, here's how it's going to work. You're going to be my witnesses in these places. And yet you can see design in it. You can see pattern in it. You can see something that we can grab a hold of and use to build his kingdom here. So would you read this verse with me again? Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witness, my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And once again, these were literal places, but for us, we're using it to illustrate also how it worked for them, and that is this. Jerusalem is where you are right now. It's your home. It's your family. It might even be inside your own heart, your car, your house. It's this family right here, the church family. It's Morrison Hill Christian Church. It's the small group you're part of. It's right here, right now. You don't have to learn another language. You don't have to do that much adaptation to be able to reach the people in Jerusalem because you're already there. You just have to be intentional about, I'm building God's kingdom right here. Your home, your heart becomes an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. 
The next step out, Judea was kind of like the the area, maybe the province or the state or the county or something like that for where Jerusalem was. For us, that's people in our community. We talked about this last week. This is the people that it's not that hard to reach them. You probably see them often. You probably run into them. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you go to school with them. Somehow you don't have to do anything monumental. You don't have to spend untold amounts of money or time to reach these people. You just have to get intentional about it. You've just got to say, you know what? I see these people every day. This is a good place to build the kingdom of heaven. And you just have to do it. Today we're going to focus mostly on the third step, which is Samaria. Samaria for them was geographically very close, but culturally, religiously, and many other ways, they were very separate. There were very clear lines between Jerusalem and Samaria. This is us. This is them. But this is also part of God's design, and it's a spot that we cannot, we simply cannot skip and call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We can't just reach our families and our community and the ends of the earth, support foreign missions, and some of us even go, and skip breaking down any barriers that we have put up or others have put up, skip building the bridges between the people that we could reach if it just wasn't for something in between. This is what we're going to focus on today. And again, the ends of the earth just means everywhere, but here we are. This is what we're talking about. Samaria is where they are. Anyone that you would consider them. If you would say in any possible way of your life, we don't associate with those people. You know how they are. Well, that's just them. Well, I know I should probably invite people to Jesus, but they wouldn't be interested. Are you with me? I know I need to forgive people, but I don't think I can forgive them. That could be a lot of different categories. It could be a lot of different ways. They may be the, the people of Samaria to us. Are the people are people that we somehow imagine are less than us in some way. Or maybe they're less likely to respond to the gospel. Or maybe they're less likely for Jesus to want to respond to the gospel. And very few of us would ever even say that out loud in our own heads. Most of us, I don't think, would even realize that we're saying that. But it happens. And here's how I know it happens. Because we reach out to some people and we don't reach out to other people. We reach some people and we don't reach others. We dare to get intentional in this area. We don't dare to get intentional in this area. I know you know what I'm talking about. The, the people of Samaria to us can also be people who genuinely are against us. Genuinely, for whatever reason, they hate us. Or they hate something that we love. Or they love something that we hate. There's a genuine barrier. Maybe they're the ones who built the wall. Maybe the Samaritans to us, it's not really even our fault. It's not us that are saying, oh no, you can't come in here. They're going, we will never go inside. We will never cross that wall. Still, still, we've got to reach Samaria. And here's my dare to you this morning. Bottom line, this is what it means. 
If this is who they are, this is Samaria, this is who Jesus is calling us. And I believe that there are some ways that he's going to call our entire church to reach some people that we've never reached before. But I also believe that this morning he's going to tell each one of you someone specific, maybe a specific person, maybe a specific family or a group of people. He's going to lay someone on your heart and I want you to be prepared. So be, be watching for this. When this pops up in your head or your heart and the Holy Spirit is nudging you, this is it. If there is someone or a group of someones, that the way they act, the way they believe, the way they speak, possibly even the way they look, for whatever it is, you know that you are less likely to try to reach them. You are less likely to reach out to them. You would push back against the idea of trying to build the kingdom among them or invite them into our family. That's Samaria. Do you got it? And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the world. This has to happen. And, and here's the thing. We, we are building the kingdom of God. We're not just trying to get a bigger kingdom. We're not just trying to get a bigger group of people together. Jesus' dream is not just that all churches are filled with people. His dream is not an arbitrary dream like that. He wants us to transform this place. He wants to change things. And, and trying to pretend that whatever issues there may be between you and somebody else just don't exist doesn't work. And trying to play by their games doesn't work. Let's say they actually, the person you're thinking of, the person God's put on your heart this morning, actually truly hates you. They're actually really trying to attack you. They're trying to undermine you. They're trying to make life bad for you. Or maybe they hate Jesus himself. Guess what? You can't respond that way. To build God's kingdom, you've got to spread the love of Jesus. You've got to show them something completely different than that. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus Christ said, and I'd like you to read the words of Jesus with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is God's dream, not to exclude some people, but to reach the whole world, to offer the same deal. If you believe in me, if you put your trust in me, if you believe in me enough that you're actually going to base your life, build your life on my teachings, you're going to truly actively follow me, then you're in. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what culture used to be your culture. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter any of the other little boxes anybody's put you in. If you will put yourself in my kingdom, you're welcome here. That is the message of Jesus, and it's got to be our message. James writes in chapter 2, But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And once again, I, I want you to know that I know that there are people out here that are the most loving people I've ever met in my life. There are some of you that can't even get your head around like how could anybody ever hate anybody? Okay, I get that. God bless you. Thank God you're part of our family here. 
I also know that a lot of us accidentally have prejudices or or ideas that we bought into somehow against this person or that person or that religion or that way of thinking or that political party or whatever else. Somehow we've got that. And some of that is actually based on fact. And some of that's real. Some of those people really do hate us. But listen, we're building the kingdom of God. We're doing something completely different. We're starting something that starts small but grows exponentially and actually changes the way stuff works. This is something that's been in God's design since he created the world. It's something he made very, very clear. And this is what we're all about. So again, I want you to read the words of Jesus with me. This is straight out of Matthew 5. Once again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the constitution of the kingdom, if you will. Matthew 5 through 7. Would you read this and just really listen. Let the words percolate as you hear it coming out of your mouth and into your own heart. This is Jesus talking. You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Just the other day in Z4G, we looked at the same passage, and I gave them a little clue that helps. Every once in a while, the whole, like, be a geek and speak Greek thing actually works. This is a significant moment, okay? I'm telling you, this is a big deal. The word that's translated perfect here it literally does mean perfect it's it's a greek word teleos that means perfect but the connotation is different than the connotation we think of as perfect we hear the word perfect and we think no flaws we think absolute perfection but really what this word is talking about is it's reached its goal it's mature it's what it's supposed to be it's become what it needed to be it's become what it was designed to be in the first place the the two blanks in your in your handout if you're following along the 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 core idea the way they would use this would be if someone has grown up you finally made it you're a man now you're a woman now you you got it it, it's, it's that. That's what it means much more than just you have zero flaws, zero anything wrong ever in you. It means you have finally got, you, you've become what you were supposed to become. I hope that makes sense. Because what that means for us in the kingdom is that we have started to look at the world the way God looks at the world. We're starting to see people the way God sees people. We're starting to see our friends and our enemies alike as people who God loves, people that we love, people that we genuinely want the best for, people that we equally are passionate about reaching and bringing into the kingdom. Whatever prejudices, whatever beliefs, right or wrong, that we have had about them before, we have surrendered that and just invited everyone into the kingdom, into our home, into our Jerusalem. That's how you reach Samaria. Samaria in the Bible has actually always been the other people. 
The first time you see Samaria in the scriptures is in 1 Kings chapter 16. King Omri of Judah bought the land and built the city of Samaria there to be the capital of the, of the country, Judah. And if, you're, if you know much about Bible history, here's what happened. There was the kingdom of Israel. David ruled there. Solomon ruled there. After Solomon's raid, it split in two. So you still had one king reigning in Jerusalem, calling the country Israel. You had this other country that's also Israel, but they called themselves Judah, and their capital was Samaria. So from the very beginning, the first time you see this, you, you, there's this separation. And yet, Samaria is a crucial part of the story. You've heard the stories and maybe not realize you are hearing about Samaria if you've ever been to Sunday school in your life. Samaria is where King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were king and queen. Okay, That, they, that was the kingdom of Judah. When Elijah was doing his stuff. That was in the kingdom of Judah. He was approaching the king in Samaria. When Elisha was doing what he did, when Naaman the leper came from another country seeking the prophet of God to be healed from his leprosy, he came to Samaria. So always there's this, there's this split, and yet there's not as much of a split as you think there is. God is still moving both places. The Samaritans were just as guilty of having a us versus them mentality as the kingdom of Israel were. Both were guilty. Both were messed up. The division was never God's ideal. That was never what he had in mind in the first place. Both were guilty, and yet this is where it ended up. In the New Testament, Jesus shocked everyone by just throwing out the whole us versus them thing completely. Jesus definitely had a right versus wrong. Believers versus non-believers. People who follow me and people who do not. But Jesus did not say Israelites versus everybody else. He used those terms, but he used them kind of sarcastically. And he turned it on his end. And he made a big deal every time somebody from another country, someone from Samaria, would follow him or do the right thing. He'd say, hey, check this out. Are you paying attention? This is what I have in mind. And they're a Samaritan. He rubbed it in their faces because he wanted them to see, this is what I want. I'm not just trying to reach you because you're Jews. I'm not just trying to reach you because you live in Jerusalem. I am reaching you because you're people. You were designed in the image of God himself. I love you. I want you, I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want everyone to be part of that. We're going to briefly look at three stories. I believe that you know each one of these already, but we're going to re-examine these three stories that appear in the New Testament. Jesus is either telling them or participating in the story where he interacts with Samaritans or talks about Samaritans. And I hope that as you do this, this kind of re reminds you of some stuff you already know, but hopefully we're going to ask some questions that I hope God uses to really ignite. And even if you're not a note taker, if you're habitually not taking notes in these things, that's, that's great. That's awesome. But at least if you would ask these questions, maybe take this on, maybe just fold this thing up, put it in your pocket, do something you can interact with you and God later. Every scripture is on here. I hope you read them. I hope you look them in context. But what I really want is for you and God to figure out who your Samaria is and that you're going to start building his kingdom there. But here we go, walking through these three scenes. Scene one, the woman at the well. 
In John chapter 4, Jesus, I'm going to read a few verses uh, verbatim and then just tell you the story. Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. So once again, this is Jacob and Joseph, okay? If you know anything about Israel and how they revered their patriarchs, this is like holy ground. And yet for them, sitting at the well, sitting on that well was to become unclean because it was a Samaritan place now, okay? This was a well that Jacob bought. This was a well that he gave to his son, Joseph. And yet now it's unclean. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He sits down and starts talking to a Samaritan. And back then, another one of the us versus them thing that was a big deal was just part of their culture. There were, nobody blinked about it was male versus female. So that's why the woman is so shocked. She's like, how are you talking to me? How are you asking for me for a drink? How are you willing to put your body and your mouth on stuff that we touch? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. What in the world is going on? And yet this conversation that he has with her the way he treats her as an equal the way he treats her as someone he values her questions her questions about spirituality her questions about God and worship maybe for the first time in her life he doesn't treat her as a Samaritan or as a woman he treats her as a person and she's so moved by this, she goes running away. And there's so many other layers going on. She thinks he's the Messiah. He is. He tells her he is. She brings her people. So much else. But, but at least, I don't want you to miss that. The way he treated her is what opened up her heart. She was so moved by the whole thing that she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. She forgot her own agenda completely and got lost in his agenda. And from that day on, she was not known as the woman who was so loose that had five husbands and all that kind of stuff. She was known as the woman who helped us follow the Messiah. Changed her entire life by just treating her well. But when the disciples showed back up at the well, they were shocked to see him talking to her because she was a Samaritan and she was a woman. And I want you to ask yourself this honest question. Who would you be shocked to see Jesus talking to? That's one clue to who your Samaria is. If you walked in and you could physically see Jesus, and Jesus is having a real conversation with somebody, A, it's not you, probably some jealousy there. What's wrong with me? But you see that other person, you go, are you kidding me? You're not talking to me, you're talking to them, and, and he is a, you better write that down. And she is a, that's a clue to who your Samaria is. Scene number two, Jesus heals some lepers. In Luke 17, 10 men with leprosy come to Jesus. And again, you talk about an us versus them mentality. In this day, there was no cure for leprosy. There was no medicine. There was no treatment. They just made them outcasts. So these guys had actually bonded together. You, I think you get where this is going. That One of them was a Samaritan. You've probably heard this story before, but they had made their own little community of outcasts, and they all kind of belong. We all have leprosy. We're all outcasts. We're all one little team. And all 10 of them, though, they're standing at a distance, it says in the scripture, 
and they're calling out to Jesus for help and he heals them. And they all go running off to present themselves to the priest and to go through the ceremonies and to re-enter their life. They're so excited. Nine of them just kept on going. One came back to say thank you. You got this, say it with me. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus points that out. I want you to ask for just a second. Again, ask God this question. Maybe you need to wrestle with it later as well. Be honest. Is there anyone, any person, any group, any family, any, any, any religion, any, anything that you really have this idea, it's us versus them? It's not just that they're right or wrong. That matters. Right or wrong matters. We're spreading the truth, not just unconditional love. We're building the kingdom of God. We're transforming this world into the way God wants it to work. We're not just saying everybody's okay. I'm not saying that we're supposed to just be okay with everybody. I'm saying everybody gets an equal chance. And is there someone that is there a category that for you, you go, yeah, but I hope, I hope I don't have to go to those people. I hope I, I hope I don't have to deal with that guy. I hope that I'm not the one God calls to go to that country. Be honest. Maybe for you there isn't one. But if there is, that's part of your Samaria. Scene number three. This is a story Jesus told. This is one where Jesus is being really creative. It's the mortal, very famous story, a parable Jesus made up the Good Samaritan. And in this one, they're asking the question. Somebody's asking, trying to trick Jesus once again. So what am I really liable for? What do, what do you expect from me? What's the bottom line? What's the bottom line I could get by with and still be called a follower of, of God? What's the, what's the bottom line? What's the most important laws? What's the ones that if I break all the rest, and, and, but I keep these ones, it's okay. They're trying to find a loophole somehow, and Jesus, as always, turns that on its end. He brings up the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, and the guy goes, so, who's my neighbor? And what he means is, so who am I personally liable to have to treat like my neighbor, okay? Who is the one that I have to love like I love myself? Because I obviously can't love everybody that's just common sense. Who's the one I have to treat like I would treat myself? And instead of answering the question just with a word like everyone or something like that, Jesus says, a certain man was going down and he starts telling this story. And you know this story, right? How many have ever heard the Good Samaritan? Okay? And, and the guy's hurt, he's beat up, he's lying there, he's got no clothes, he's completely busted up, and all the good people in the story, all the good people, all the Jews, all the Jewish leaders, all the holy people, walked right on by, one person stops to help, and he was a... Yes, you're getting this. And they were shocked. They were absolutely, what in the world... So not only is Jesus turning this guy's question on his ear, not only is he saying, it's not who you have to serve, it's what kind of a servant are you willing to be? That's significant. You've got to get your brain and your heart around that. 
Not only that, that's what he means by be a neighbor. His question, instead at the end, instead of saying so, who do you think, hearing that story, who do you think you have to reach out to? He turns it around. Jesus says, so who was a neighbor to the man who was beat up and left by the robbers? And they had to say, you say it one more time, a Samaritan. Ooh, that had to hurt. And here's what I need you to ask God right now, and maybe again later. This is the third question. Whom would Jesus cast as the hero of this story if he told it to you personally? Who would it, who would it be really hard for you to say, he's the hero of the story, or she's the hero of the story? Who was a neighbor? Is there something? Is there a religious group? Is there, is there a, a political group? Is there a people that live on one side or the other of the river? You know what I'm talking about? South or north, that kind of thing. Is, it, is there people who like a certain ball team, people who don't? I don't know what you, where you draw your lines. Is it what color our skin is? Is it where we grew up? I don't know. Whatever it is, if you would be uncomfortable with Jesus casting that person, that's a clue. That's your Samaria. That's something that you personally need to wrestle with. That's something that you personally have to fix. Fred Rogers said, love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. It's a wise man, Mr. Rogers. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. And in a political and, and social climate where uh, people were actually at hotels dumping chemicals into swimming pools if African-American people swam there to get them out, to physically hurt them and get them out. If they even dipped their foot in, they'd make a big show of draining the pools and refilling them so that white people could, could swim there. This was going on in that era. Mr. Rogers made a point of casting an African-American man as a policeman on his show, brought him in as Officer Clemens. He became a recurring character. And they, one of the first things that they did, they, they staged it, it was a hot day and they were just trying to cool off and they got a little kiddie pool and they washed their feet together. And Mr. Rogers got down and washed his feet. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The idea of washing somebody's feet? This is what it looks like when you start busting down the walls and reaching Samaria. This is when you start turning what used to be a barrier into a bridge. This is what it looks like. You break all the rules that everybody else has set up. Whether you built them or they built them is not the point. If they exist, you bust down those walls, you build a bridge instead, and you make them able to come into the kingdom. I want to read you a, a portion of a letter that Dr. Martin Luther King, again, wrote from prison. It's called A Letter from the Birmingham Jail. The last part of it is up here. But this is a haunting thing to me. This is my belief, is that I, I, don't, I honestly don't believe there's anyone in this whole congregation. I've never met anybody who's ever made a, a racial joke or, or honestly shown me that I can just tell they're, they're racist for example, or just really hate a certain group of people. And yet, listen to this. This is, this is very insightful from Dr. King. He says, Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating 
than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I'm going to read that one more time. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And here's the thing. We are the kingdom of God. And whoever is on the outside, it doesn't matter if we built the walls or they did. If they're on the outside, they're feeling rejected from the kingdom of God. And that is not okay. And we as a church need to start praying about who we're not reaching. Who we're okay with not reaching. Who just makes us uncomfortable just the thought of trying to reach. And we've got to change that. And you as individuals and you as families, you've got to start praying and thinking about that. Because the kingdom of God grows like this. It starts where you are, but it grows out. And before it can effectively reach the whole world, it's got to cross the places you really don't want to go first. That's going to transform you even more than it's going to transform them. And I believe that's why he put that in there first. That's my personal belief. You can take it or leave it. Here's my big question for you today. Ben, if you guys could come on back. We're going to sing a song of of commitment to God. But here's something that I I really want to, to ask. I want you to ask. Who does God want us to be good neighbors to? This whole time I've been kind of saying, so who is your neighbor? Who is your Samaritan? I need you to ask that question. I need you and God to wrestle with that. But let's turn it, let's flip that the way Jesus did. No matter who they are, he wants you to be the good neighbor. No matter who they are, he wants you to show love. So let's just say that. Rather than trying to focus on who do I hate or not like or not accept or whatever, say, who is God asking me today to reach out to? Who is God asking me right now to do something about this? As as this thing's been going on today, what's been percolating in my heart? What action is he asking me to do? What is a, a situation he wants me to do something about that I've been ignoring? What are some walls he wants me to tear down? What are some bridges that he wants me to build. And if your decision is something you need to make public, please, please make it this morning. If it's not, please, as you stand and sing, and we pray this prayer together, make a commitment to reach your Samaria.